My name is Sean Stover. I'm on staff here at Cypress Creek Church. We are glad that you are here this morning, whether it's in person or via the live feed, and good to get to hang out a little bit. I get to do counseling around here and also a little bit of mentoring and leadership development. I love where we are, the series that we're in. We're unpacking the book of Ephesians. We've been doing that for a while now and making our way through that. Uh, I also like things in life where you begin with the end in mind. So for some reason, Jose picked the last verse of the book of Ephesians, and we've uh, used that as the theme verse for the entire book that we've been going through. So the book ends with this verse in Ephesians chapter 6. It's verse 24, and it basically talks about this incorruptible love that we need to love God with. Well, there's so many different ways and applications for that, and that's what Ephesians does. It unpacks those as we go through. We're in the middle of a specific little three-part section. We're actually at the end of that, where we first talked about what it looks like to, to love incorruptibly in your marriage, in your marital relationship. And then last week, Jose and Taylor talked about what it looks like to love uh, incorruptibly with your kids and how to parent well. And then today, we're going to look at another significant set of relationships, and that's your work relationships. And how are we supposed to live a life in accordance with God's will in our work relationships? We're going to look at that in just a second. You ever read the Bible and you get to stuff and you're just kind of like, man, I don't, I, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I, I, I'm a pastor and so I wanted to just free you up right now and tell you that I do that all the time. I get to stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I don't know how to answer some of the questions in there. And those, there's big questions, you know, like why, you know, bad things happen to good people and why there's so many rules in the Old Testament. And, you know, why God doesn't answer audibly when I ask him where my keys are. All of those major questions in life, right? And Jose's out of town, so we're not going to dig into those deep theological things. All that's left around here is me and a couple of student pastors and college pastors. And believe me, we're not the ones to answer those questions. But there's also things as you're reading along in the Bible you get to, and, and, and if you're like me, I, I get there and I'm like, well, that's just not applicable to me. And, and so I kind of pass over it pretty quickly. And if we're not careful, that's kind of what this little section, there's only five verses for today, but many times in my life I've gotten there and I've kind of just skipped past them. Because I'll be honest, if, if I can't get my mind around something or make sense of it or understand it, especially younger in my youth, man, I needed to figure everything out. I needed to understand every detail of everything for me to be able to move forward and move on. And that was an exhausting way to live life. And, and then technological advances happened and there was no way for me to get my mind around and make sense of how everything was going on. Like, I, it still baffles me that somehow someone thousands of miles away can send me their, vid, their visual and their audi, you know, audible message, and it comes to my phone simultaneously. I, I don't know how that happens. Somehow they speak into their device, and it sh, you know, somehow the video and the audio go up there into a satellite, and then it bounces over to a, a tower, and then it comes to me. How, how in the world do they stay connected? How does, I could... I could just get lost for hours trying to figure that stuff out. But it's exhausting, and it's a waste of time. There's so many things like that. I got stuck for a while one time on powdered mashed potatoes. I'm like, how does this powder turn into mashed potatoes? And I, I was just stuck there for a little while. And Christina's like, just put the water in. We got to get going. Man, now I got teen teenagers logic. You can spend forever on teenagers. Don't, don't try to figure everything out. Sometimes you just... Got to go with, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. God's ways are higher than my ways. And there are other times when you get to something 
And it may be worth you doing a little research and digging in. And that's what happened to me now because I got to a part in the Bible where I would have just kind of skipped past it and said, well, I just don't understand all that. And Jose said, hey, I'm going out of town. You have to teach on that. I said, okay, then I better figure it out. So I did a lot of research because the first word in, in Ephesians 6, verse 5, and we'll put all those verses up there that we're going to look at today, but the first word is, is slaves. And my initial, I, I mean, what, what's your initial emotional reaction when you hear that word? I mean, for me, it's an extreme negative emotional reaction when I hear the word slaves. It's something I, I'm, I'm ashamed of in our history. It's something that um, I, I, it just breaks my heart to know that that actually exists today, still exists in some places and lots of places. 27 million people, there are estimates that 27 million people in the world are still in, in, in some form of slavery. And so it hit me in a deep place. And so, you know, yeah, I kind of was like, I just want to skip over that. Look, I'm still working on the marriage and the parenting part anyway. Um, but the reality is it's worth digging into. See, Paul uh, was writing at the time to the Ephesians, the people of the city of Ephesus. And at that time, one third of the population of that city were slaves, which was a reflection of Rome. The city of Rome, same thing. One third of the people there were slaves. Estimates are that 35% of the people in the world were slaves at the time Paul was writing this. So it's a substantial portion of the world. It's also important that he was writing them and for us to note that it's different than kind of maybe, at least my opinion, my thoughts about slavery in early America. See, there were some significant differences. Slaves back then, one, there was no, no specific racial or ethnic uh, makeup of slaves. I mean, it, it was broad. It could have been from any, any part of the Mediterranean, any part of that region, any, anyone could end up being slaves. They came from uh, prisoners of war, was a large number of the people that were slaves. Orphans that were abandoned ended up just kind of being grown up and then, and then taken into, into slavery. Some people chose to go into slavery because they had no other outlets for, for food and for, and for survival. So slavery was different in that way. It was also different in that slaves had the ability to be freed and emancipated in, in this time when this was written. So a lot of times around age 30, slaves, they just earned their freedom and they were able to go free. Another big difference was that they were educated. A lot of them were especially educated and uh, you know, had special positions like lawyers and doctors and things like that. So it's was, it was a little different as we're reading it. So that was eye-opening to me to make some sense of that. Um, and then... There was also some things that are similar to what my perceptions of what slavery were, right? There was, there was still the ownership of one person over another, one person owning someone else, not, not at all what God would want. There, was, there were things like uh, abuse, man, physical abuse, sexual abuse of slaves, not at all what God would want. And uh, the system itself, just the, the, the lack of rights that slaves had was, was horrible then and always is and still is today. So... So there's a lot, of, a lot of thoughts as I dug into what slavery really was. And then it turns out that as you study more about this little passage, it, it does have a ton of application for us because it's really just talking about what it looks like if you're an employee to kind of do your job well and serve the, the person or the company that you work for. And if you're an employer, what it looks like to lead and uh, you know, manage the people around you well. So there, there, there's certainly application for us today. These verses, let's just read through them. They're up there. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will 
of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Here's the deal, you guys. This has application to us. Let me put it back into context. A few things. One, the people of Ephesus, the, the folks Paul was writing to, were all followers of Christ. They were early in their faith, and Paul was trying to write to them, here's what it looks like to live out your faith on a daily basis right where you are. And he was writing to men and women, Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free people, old and young. This is what it looks like to live out your life. All of this last week and the week before with marriage and parenting and now work is all under the context of a heading and a verse that said, submit one to another. It's this posture of mutual submission and not trying to always get our way and trying to be in the forefront all the time and having the spotlight and the energy, but being willing to to kind of look around and kind of help others as we're helping ourselves. It's all in that context. And then the reality is work is just an important part of our lives. It's been said that kind of the formula to happiness is having something to do, someone to love, and something to look forward to. The absence of having something to do leaves a lot of us in a, in a really sad spot, honestly. It leaves space for anxiety and depression and things like that to come in. Now, that doesn't mean that you gotta work for a paycheck your whole life. It just means that you need to have some things in your life that you're working toward, that you're using your gifts and your talents around. And that's what these verses are speaking to. I mean, I, I heard from the Lord when I was you know, young and early in my work career. And uh, it, it, it was this, you will never be king. And I thought, well, that's a stinky thing to hear from the Lord. And uh, I told Christina, and she said, that can't be right, because you know, she obviously thought she was going to marry somebody who was going to be a king someday. And uh, she's almost in a sense of, you know, I couldn't have married somebody that's not going to be a king. And I said, I know. She said, well, ask him what else he's talking about. So I said, okay. So I asked him again. It took several days for him to respond again. And he said, hey, your role is to come alongside people that are kings. I said, all right. So I've lived my life trying to do that. And uh, so I'm telling you all that to say that these verses apply to me because I, I'm okay with being an employee. I, I really am. I, I've got a, the chance to come alongside some amazing people in my life and help them do more things than maybe they could have done if I hadn't been there. But that's where I am. That may be where you are. That's okay. The reality is God is speaking to us about how to do that well. And this whole section is really challenging to me. I mean, two weeks ago, I was called, you know, to lead my wife, who is stronger than I am. So that's challenging. And then last week, you know, I was called to, to, to lead my, my kids. And that's hard because they're more talented than I am. And then I find myself here at work, you know, and I'm supposed to kind of follow this lead pastor who's 20 years younger than I am. Maybe you find yourself in these situations where you're trying to, how do I apply this stuff? Well, that's what we're here for, to figure it out together. So there are some real practical things that come out of this. I'm gonna go ahead and we'll pop the next slide up because it flips over to what it looks like at the end. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. So let's unpack these verses just a little bit. First and foremost, there's five things that Paul is saying specifically to those of us that are employees that have to report to somebody. There are some postures that we need to live out. 
He uses the word obey. It's the same word that he used with, with children, obey your parents. He uses that to start. And then he gives us these five points. And in these five points, in these first few verses, that's what we're looking at with regards to kind of what is it, how do we apply ourselves as employees? We pop those up there on the screen for me? So there they are. The first one is with deep respect. Some verses, some versions say with fear and trembling is how we're supposed to serve, or with fear and respect. That's the same thing he says in Psalm 2 when we're talking about how we're supposed to serve the Lord, with fear and trembling and respect. It also says how we're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and respect. It's the same word used in all of those contexts because we're supposed to have a deep respect. Now, you may have already hit the pause button on me. You said, you don't, do not know my boss. There is nothing respectable about this person. I don't know your boss, uh, probably. And the reality is it's not about your boss. This is about the posture we're supposed to bring. We're supposed to have a respect for people in authority. We're supposed to have a respect for uh, the position, even if we don't have a respect necessarily for all the behaviors that that person uses in that position. Now, I could go on a super tangent right now about how we've lost the ability to respect positions of authority in our country no matter who's filling those. But there is a responsibility for us to respect positions of authority. He goes on to say, uh, you know, as he's talking about how to do that, he says, with, with a pure heart and a good attitude. All right? With a pure heart and a good attitude. Now, that's a good posture to have toward anything in life, not just your work relationships. A pure heart and a good attitude. See, a pure heart has good motivations. You know, it's, you're going to work for the right reasons. You're going to work because you want to make a difference, because you want to contribute, because you want to get out of the house, because you want to, you know, earn the paycheck that's being provided for you. Whatever that is, you want to have proper motivations as you go, and you want to have a good attitude while you're there. He, for, he continues on, and, and he says, you know, there, if you, if you have it in front of you and you want to look back at Ephesians 6, you know, about verse 6, he says, you know, that you're not doing this just when they're looking. You're not doing this just to make a good impression, just so that you can be seen doing work. Now, I've, I've been there before when I was younger, you know, and my dad told me to go out and do something in the yard. And I, I, I would listen for when he was coming. And I would, you know, ramp it up when I heard his footsteps headed that direction. And then I would find some shade when he wasn't around. That's not, that's Paul saying, that's not what we're looking for here. Are you working just as hard and performing just as much when nobody's looking? And he goes on to explain why that's important later, because honestly, God is always looking. But he adds to that a fourth point about this posture of obedience that we should have as employees. And he says, give God's will top priority in your life and your work. So the thing is, there are going to be times when you don't want to do something. But you need to follow through with a good attitude because that's God's will for your life. There will also be times in your work when you may be asked to do something that's unethical or inappropriate. And when you get to that point, you need to refer back to this verse and realize that it is never a good time to do something that is against the will of God. You may have to make some hard decisions. I will also say this. I was just talking to somebody back there about a position that they had to leave because it was an abusive situation. It is not God's will that you work in an, abuse, in an abusive environment. It's not. God does not want that for anybody that he loves or cares about. He never wants you to be in a place where you are being traumatized and abused on a consistent 
basis. So if you find yourself in that position, you, it's, it's in violation of this, what he's trying to tell us about where we're supposed to work. Now remember, in Paul's talking to slaves, they had some pretty bad conditions they worked in. Not everything in your work is gonna be great, but you don't have to be in an abusive, traumatic situation. And then he goes on to say, remember that God expects us to do good work, sees when we do, and re will reward us. So this is that last part of verse seven where he talks about serving wholeheartedly. It's one of my favorite words in the English language, wholeheartedly. Put all of your heart and energy and passion into something. And if we're honest, most days we show up physically to work. We're supposed to be there, so we show up physically. Maybe you get to work remote now and so you just show up on Zoom, you know, half-dressed. That's okay, you're showing up physically. We're okay with that. And then there are days when we're actually supposed to engage our brain. Something needs our problem solving, something needs our attention, and so we show up mentally. God's saying, I need you to go with the third step. And the third step is I need you to show up wholeheartedly. I need you to emotionally and passionately be present there because your heart is where all those gifts and talents and abilities are and the world needs them and your workplace needs them and your boss needs them. Like, whoa, I thought just showing up was enough. Man, you know the difference, right? You know when you're standing across from somebody at Chick-fil-A or Quick Check and you can see they're physically there, but that's all you're getting from that person versus when they're actually engaged emotionally with everything that they have in the work that they're doing. It makes a tremendous difference. And God is telling us that's the kind of people we need to be when we show up to work because we represent him. And honestly, we're not working for that check, we're not working for that company as much as we're working for the Lord and serving him. Let's just kind of take a little application out of these verses about being, a, you know, in this context, a slave, but about being an employee. And uh, so here are a few practical things to consider. If you get the chance to make some choices around your employment, here's some filters to use based on those verses we just looked at. Enjoy what you do. Enjoy what you do. And part of enjoying what you do is focusing on the positives. There's gonna be positives and negatives to every job you have. And if all you do is focus on the negatives, you are not gonna enjoy that job. And if you don't enjoy it, it's gonna be miserable for a long period of time. So find the positives in what you're doing and enjoy it. Find a culture that fits your values. Again, this is all best case scenario. When you get to make some choices, these are some filters that you wanna use. Find a culture that fits your values. Use your gifts and talents to make a difference. Make sure it's something that allows you to use your unique and specific gifts and talents. And then finally, we've said this before, but you're working for the Lord. How in the world can you bring glory to him and honor to him through the work that you're doing? That's Paul's writing to us about what it looks like to be employees, but he doesn't just stop there. He says, also, masters, employers, you have a responsibility. He says, the same in, in that you're also submitting yourself to the Lord and to the people around you. And all of those five things that we talked about earlier, you know, a good attitude and, and, and a pure heart and, uh, you know, deep respect, all of those things are supposed to be a part of what you do as an employer. And you need to add to that, though. He adds two more things. He said, don't threaten. All right. So we're shifting hats, right? A lot of us wear multiple hats. A lot of us are employees and followers in one setting and we're employers or leaders in another setting. So we're shifting settings now to look at, look at what it looks like to lead people. And it says there are a couple of things. Don't threaten. 
Man, the weakest leadership model I know is the one that uses threats in order to get things done. There are so many other ways to lead people effectively and in a healthy manner in everything, in your parenting, in your marriage, in your workplace. Don't use threats. Now, accountability is great. People need accountability. And there needs to be consequences after the accountability. But that's very different than threatening people. Uh, and the other thing is favoritism. Paul specifically mentions to masters, to, to employers, he says, don't show favoritism. Basically saying like when, I, when God looks at people, he looks at everybody the same. And you need to do that as well. You need to treat people equally. Treat people with respect and dignity. So some practical application from these, if you're an employer, is first and foremost, find some ways to make work fun. Find some ways to make work fun and enjoyable for your folks. Get people in spots where they can use their gifts. All right, there's been a lot of research done on great managers, and what they found out was that great managers didn't just take people's deficiencies and try to make them better in those areas. They took people's strengths and found ways to plug them into places where they could maximize the use of those strengths. There are just some things that we're never gonna be really good at. So why move toward those instead? Let's move to the things we are good at and, and let's put people in those places. Create a culture that values people and encouragement. I mentioned them earlier. Some of you know I, I get to work for Chick-fil-A uh, on a full-time basis. And I love the way they work because they take care of their people and they value and hold on to the culture so tightly uh, so that they can create an atmosphere that's encouraging that then allows the people to serve the customers the way they want them to. They have a fantastic model around that. Well, I worked for a camp, a Christian camp, years ago. And uh, we had the lowest, one of the lowest retention rates of any camp in the country in terms of counselors coming back year over year when I showed up. And they're like, what's going on? Why are we in this situation? And we found out that the philosophy of the camp was totally camper-centered. It was like, how can we do everything and give every camper the best experience in the world? And the mentality, though they wouldn't have said this, but the mentality when you looked at it was, let's use up the counselors, let's use them to get a great experience for the campers. A lot of people approach their work that way. How can I use the employees that I have in order to make my business look better or make me more money or take better care of the customer? But the great companies realized, and what we had to do with that camp program was we had to switch it around and we had to say, no way, let's focus on the counselors. Let's create an amazing experience for them. Let's make sure they're built up and they're encouraged. And then let's watch what that overflow looks like as they take care of the campers. That's what great employers do. That's what great companies do. They invest in their people and then the overflow allows productivity and customer service. Be that kind of, of employer. Model servant leadership that honors God was that last point up there on the screen. As a leader, we need to do things that honor the Lord. I heard recently when somebody was talking, they said that when you leave a meeting with a good leader, you realize how smart, amazing and talented they are. He said, when you leave a meeting with a great leader, you start to believe that you are smart, amazing, and talented. Are we doing that with the people that we're responsible for? And then he ends it up, Paul ends up this whole section with verse nine, and they had it up there a second ago. It, uh, it basically says that God 
shows no favoritism. And he's highlighting some verses, you know, Romans 12, 2, 11, Paul says it again, for God does not show favoritism. It goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. God loves everyone. God sees everyone. Whatever your role, wherever you are, I know it's the nine o'clock service. We've got a diversity of ages and stages of life in here. Um, man, I, am, I, I know you hear people say, I'm never retiring. Retirement's not in the Bible. Well, I, I'm going to retire someday. I am. I don't care. There's a lot of things not in the Bible that we get to do, and I'm going to do that. Um, maybe you've done that, but that doesn't mean you stop. The world still needs you needs your gifts and your talents and abilities. It doesn't mean that there aren't places in your life that you need to submit yourself. I know a lot of you in this room and you'd say, you know, I'm my own boss. Well, that's, that's great, but you're not your own leader. The Lord is your leader and he is your guide and we need to submit to him. And you also have a lot to offer the people around you. So let's keep going forward and let's take these principles, a good attitude, a pure heart, or deep respect, a consistent desire to obey and submit. And let's make our workplaces as healthy as we can so that we can win people to the saving love of Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence here this morning. Thanks for the chance to teach. Thanks for the things that you taught me this week about, um, yeah, slavery and the need to submit and follow others because we're ultimately following you. Thank you, Lord, that you love us the way that you do. Help us to, Lord, do better in our workplaces in representing you and being your ambassador. And for somebody out here right now that's hearing this, that's maybe in a really unhealthy work environment, I pray they would have the boldness to set boundaries and protect themselves. And, and for somebody out there that's listening, it's like, I would love to have a job. I would love to have a way to use my gifts and talents. I pray that you would help them to continue to persevere, to find that spot. They would step out and maybe take something that doesn't seem perfect, but make it as good as it could possibly be. Lord, I know the mental health value of working, having a purpose and something to do. Lord, help us to walk boldly into that so that we can continue to live this life you've laid before us. We pray this.